I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition, where for the first time, we have ourselves a Stanley Cup champion to talk about. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined as always by Jesse Granger. How are you, Jesse? I'm great. How are you, Rob? Waiting for hockey to start again. I can't stand this time of year. Sarah Sivian uh, joining us from Rally. Are you the same way, Sarah, or you, do you like the break? See, Sarah, we've been doing this show for a while now, since October, and this is the first time you've muted your mic, so I'm going to call you out on it. Now that Sarah's mic is on, <laughs> do you like the break? Rob warned us to mute earlier, and I nodded my head about it. We're back. I, With that said, that is where my mental state is at, so I'm ready for a few weeks of break after the draft, of course, but we'll get there. It's, it's that weird feeling. Like, last night, I kind of, you know, I'm finished eating dinner, you're kind of doing dishes, you're like, oh... There's nothing. There's, you're just even in, even on days off, you're still thinking about future games. But yeah, there's nothing because for the first time in 21 years, guys, the Colorado Avalanche are your Stanley Cup winners. Just five short years after finishing dead last uh, in the NHL, and you always hear about rebuilds and you know convincing fans uh, that something's going to happen. There's always that five year rule. Well, they really took it to heart. Second time ever. Uh, a, Team went from dead last to Stanley Cup champion within five years. The last team to do it, Quebec and Colorado, back in 1996. Um, we'll we'll dive deep into this, but your first impressions uh, after that cup was raised, and now the playoffs are all done. Sarah, Sarah, we'll start with you. I just think it was like obviously we see the list of injuries that the Lightning were dealing with, but at the same time, I just felt like the Avs earned it, especially that third period of the last game. It was just. They were perfect defensively. They're great offensively. I loved that McKinnon was the one to score that goal. And it's like after he had like six shots a night, it was just Kale McCarr. That's all I got to say. Kale McCarr. 
Yeah, it was it was fun. To me, it was like, I don't know, my initial impression is it was just like it was a satisfying end to the season, more satisfying than we've had the last couple of years. Um, I think Agreed. the best team, I think the best team in hockey won, which I think was also the case the last couple of years, except for the cup final was a sham the last two seasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tampa Bay just absolutely steamrolled Dallas and Montreal. They were it was never a series. There was never a shadow of a doubt who was going to win that series. And there was just something empty feeling about those. So the fact that we had what, in my opinion, were clearly the two best teams in hockey. And like Sarah said, I don't think Tampa was at its best in this series. I think they were severely hampered. And if they were at their best, we probably would have gotten seven games. But the fact that they battled in, kept it Made it, made it entertaining, made the avalanche really work for it. And then we saw the best team in hockey lift the trophy. So to me, it's just, it was a very satisfying way to end a a really fun season of hockey. They were as advertised. They were exactly what we like, you know, the abs are who we thought they were. (laughs) Um, You know, I do, I do this thing on CBC before the season starts on our, our regular uh, CBC station, not the sports department. And they always ask me, who's going to win the Stanley Cup? And I go, oh, I'm going way out on a limb here and I'm taking the Colorado Avalanche. And they were texting me saying, wow, great prediction. I'm like, not really. I took the best team in <laughs> hockey and they did what they were supposed to do. Uh, I've got a list here of what I call on my, my notes, stupid Av stats. And by stupid, I mean, they're just incredible. Uh, 16 and four on their way to the Stanley Cup. Finished with a nine and one road record, which is tied uh, for the fewest road losses by Stanley Cup champions since 1987. Their power play was ridiculous, 32.8% clip, highest rate on record since 1978, and they never, not once, trailed a series. The only other teams to do that, the Kings in 2012, Detroit in 2008, and Edmonton in 1988. So like I said, as advertised, but Sarah touched on Kale McCarr, Consumite Trophy winner. Um, Am I the only one who feels like he is not even midway up on his trajectory for being just awesome. I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. No, that's the Jesse. No, I'm excited about Kale. <laughs> Jesse, go, you go, go first. Go, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> I oh my God. Do you guys hear that? Sorry, there's people weed whacking outside of my door. Okay. They as I'm distracted. But Kale McCarr <laughs> is literally showing us what the future of elite defense is and that like it's kind of roving it's positionless hockey and in a sense he can be offensive but he's also defensive and he has won what is it the the Hobie Baker the Calder the Norris the Stanley Cup the Conn Smythe how old is he 23 23 somebody likes you when you're 23 (laughs) it's it's Pretty ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I mean, so like there's there's the saying that you always hear from scouts and coaches and, and execs that an NHL defense, you don't know what a defenseman is in the NHL until he's played 200 games. They say give a guy 200 games because defense more than forward takes time to learn. It's more complex position. You have more responsibilities. It's just there's a there's a steeper learning curve. So uh, Kel McCarr is only 178 games into his NHL career. So we still aren't sure if this guy's going to be legit or not. No, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> 178 games into his career, and he's got every trophy you can win. Sarah just listed like there's nothing else. He's he's it's only downhill from here. There's no way. I mean, he's won every trophy you can possibly win. He's only 178 games into his career. He does things on the ice that it's not just 
he's not just a stat collector. Like he passes the eye test. He does things no one else can do. There's no other player on the planet that can skate in the ways he does along the blue line. It's so much fun to watch. And like Rob said, he may not even be as good as he's going to be. Now, you know, what's funny. Sometimes people will accuse hockey of being overcoached nowadays. And, and I'm one of those people. I feel like he's brought creativity back to the defensive position. You just don't friggin' know what he's going to do. He sees five options in front of him and picks the best one. And more times than not, that ends up on a highlight reel because it's incredible. And that's what, you know, we're going back to the, the Bobby or Paul Coffey days where you're like, what's he going to do when they get the puck? I feel that every time Kale McCarr gets the puck. And like you said, Jesse, he's not a, just a stat collector. And I don't mean that as a shot at other defensemen who, you know, rack up stats or other defensemen who are playing within a really structured system. But I love that he's been given that leash to be himself. And like I said, I think he's bringing the creativity back to defensemen that I don't think we've seen in a long time. It's so evident on the power play. And it's like you gave that insane power yeah. play stat and you see McKinnon's zone entries and then you see what McCarr can do with those zone entries. And it's very, it, it, it's like a microism of what their team was last season. And it shows they are just so dominant. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I know this may be like prisoner of the moment, but I honestly believe it. I think he's he's the best defenseman in the world. And I think... Connor McDavid's the only player in the world you can argue is better than Kale McCarr right now. Um, I think he's probably the second best player in the world. And at the beginning of the season, if you would have given that ranking, would McCarr have even been top 10? I mean, I know we we had high expectations going into the season for him. It wasn't like he, we didn't know who Kale McCarr was, yeah. but we didn't realize he was this elite level um, prior to this season. It's crazy how fast he's gone from being a good defense. Like, I don't, I think most before the year, most people would have said Nathan McKinnon's probably the best player on the avalanche. And at when they were lifting the cup, there's no doubt in anyone's mind who the best player on that team is. And it was Kale McCarr. 23 years, 239 days. That's how old he was when he won the Conn Smythe trophy. Youngest defenseman in 52 years to win it. That defenseman 52 years ago was somebody by the name of Bobby Orr. The third defenseman to win it the same year he won the Norris. The only other two guys to do it, Bobby Orr and Nicholas Lidstrom. Third player, 23 years or younger to win it. The only two to do it, Bobby Orr and Serge Savard. And his 11 points in potential series clinching games, the most ever by a defenseman in one playoff year. If there was any doubt he was going to win the Conn Smythe, just listen to some of those uh, stats. Just absolutely incredible. 29 points. Um before we move on to a couple other things from the playoffs, the lightning, Sarah, you touched on the injuries. We we get this every year. Um, after everything's said and done, you get the laundry list of this guy had a broken this, this guy had a sprain that, this guy had a ruptured that, and the lightning were no different. Kucherov, MCL sprain, Braden Point with a quad tear. Um, I don't think in any way, shape, or form they or anyone are using that as excuses, but man, that was a beat up. That was just a beat up hockey team that just happened to have to play arguably the best team in hockey this year. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, you wonder, like, is the team really benefiting from all these guys who are hurt playing? But at the same time, who else is going to be playing yeah. with that many people hurt? So it is, it's a really tough one for me. And I do think we need to, I know people aren't going to like this, and I know players get, take a lot of offense to it sometimes because they're putting their heart and soul on the line. And I don't think there's any, like, I think that is a very noble thing. And I think it's brave and like very just outstanding. But at the same time, I think 
the NHLPA needs to protect them better and have better kind of acceptance of you don't have to play with certain severe injuries, you know? Yeah, I, I guess my thoughts on it was I kind of disagree with you, Rob, a little. I thought they did use it as an excuse. Um, really? Maybe, maybe I was being overly critical. I, so, like, I'm I'm a big fan of John Cooper and, and just... The last two years, three years, I guess, including this run, it's been fun for me to watch Tampa. I'm like, I, I like when Tampa's winning. I like the players in the room. I like John Cooper. I thought they were a little salty. I thought they were a little uh, excuse ridden in their in their post game uh, thoughts. I don't know. That was just my initial reaction watching Cooper and watching Kucherov. They seemed a little salty. Looked like a team that hadn't tasted defeat in three years and forgot what it's like. And <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't the biggest fan of the way they handled it. Not that it was this huge. And I'm trying to make it yeah. this huge controversy where oh the the Lightning are complainers. But I did think that they could have laid off the injury excuses a little bit and given a little more credit to the best team in hockey in their in their post game. I thought they did a little bit of that throughout the playoffs, and that bothered me more. I yeah. mean, I mean, the game four overtime right. goal rant from John Cooper, and I understand there's an element of let's get everyone focused on the fact that we're not down three games to one in this series. Coaches do that with the media. That one seemed a little whiny to me. I just yeah. felt like I, I, there's been times I've been covering the playoffs, I guess, for longer than four years, but like with the athletic for four years. And I just, I feel like there's been times in press conferences I could tell, okay, this coach is like, it's over. Like they're going to lose this series. And I don't know if I'm always right on that, but that was that moment for me with Cooper. Cause I'm like, why are you complaining about this? Like, like if you were confident that your team is going to win and I, it's, it's valid. Like, I don't, like talk your shit. I don't care, but I just think it shows that you're kind of losing faith in where the series is going. And you're uh, grasping at straws. Yeah. This wasn't a 20 minute press conference where someone happened to ask, Hey, look, it looks as though this goal shouldn't have counted. And he's answering a question. He answered one question. He was emotional about it and then stormed off. And it just felt exactly what Jesse said, like a team that hadn't lost in a long time, suddenly, against the ropes and seeing no way out. So yeah, I guess we're seeing them make these excuses in different ways, but they've played 71 playoff games over the past 23 months. That's, but that's almost a whole season in 23 months of playoff hockey, the most ever by a team over three postseasons. So yeah, there were times where they looked tired. Yes. There were times that they looked like a team that had played a lot of playoff games. And that's why we don't see three peats very often. Right. Right. And to me, it was like that. It's a testament to their depth. I mean, their depth. I mean, like point point was out. He's, he's arguably their best player. I mean, he's an awesome player and guys like Palat and, and Sorelli stepped up and, and played really well. They just ran into a team that has the same star power and they were all healthy and clicking at the same time. Like I think Tampa has nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, even with all those games they played, all those injuries, they were still a really good team yeah. all the way to the very end. Yeah, I think it's kind of okay to use injuries as somewhat of an excuse. It's like a reason. It's absolutely a reason they didn't at least push it to seven games. Right. All that being said, I mean, you look at their core with Stamkos, Vasilevsky, Hedman, Kucherov, Point, all coming back. They've got Palat, Paul, and Ruda to sign in the offseason. It's not it's not crazy to say that this team is a Stanley Cup contender next year again, right? 
it's going to come down to filling in those role spots. And I, to yeah. be honest, I think over the last three years, no one's done it better than Tampa. They've gone out and they've gotten a maroon. They've gotten a Corey Perry did it pretty well this year. They have been very, very good at saying, okay, we don't have much cap space. Let's find some veterans to fill two or three spots. And they've hit on them. Those guys have come in and sometimes it doesn't work when you bring a guy in and, and he's, you're expecting him to play a certain role. But for, for whatever reason in Tampa, whether it's their, Either they're good at picking the right guy to fill the role or they're good at coaching them into that role. Whatever yeah. it is, they've they've done a good job of that. If they can do a good job of filling in those depth spots and finding the right guys, they'll they'll be right back in uh, contending, I think. Uh, before we move on, a couple things. This is an unofficial record, but I'm just assuming it's a record for the shortest amount of time to damage a Stanley Cup. <laughs> We've heard all the stories. <laughs> We've heard them all. Ovi denting the cup, doing keg stands and... Um, I remember it really came to to light in the 80s with the Oilers who claim they are the reason there is a keeper of the cup because there was a picture of the cup completely dismantled after a night of parting with it. But Nicholas Obekubel dropping the Stanley Cup as they go for the picture, denting it, putting a, a nice dent. I saw it right away. As soon as it happened, I'm like, it's dented. It's flat on that side. I was shocked. No one was saying anything. And then slowly it started coming out. But do you have any favorite championship story championship trophies being destroyed stories anything to stick in your head because for me the ov keg stands i i see that in my i see that in my sleep every now and again because it was just it was hilarious i i can't even remember what team it was but i know i've heard the story that it like got it fell off a bridge and like spent the night in like a creek or something the stanley cup like <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would have to look it up. I wish I had looked it up before the episode, but I'm pretty sure that happened. My favorite is the Kelly Cup, the East Coast. Like a few years ago, there was drama where they lost it in the ocean and then the owner just was like, we're not giving it back. So they literally were like, okay, and made a new cup. Like I could be getting some of the details wrong, but I'm pretty sure they this one team just kept it. And they were like, all right. <laughs> uh, Glenn Healy told me a story of 94 team. They snapped the top off the cup and tried soldering it back on. And as they were soldering it, they were some of the engraving got ruined and they claim they're the reason for the keeper of the cup. I, I mean, every, they just, <laughs> they just, they just need somebody around that thing. Um, because yeah, I remember the picture seeing it, Mario Lemieux's pool and people sleeping with it and people going crazy. And, and again, the eighties Oilers, there's a famous picture of, uh, uh, at a strip joint, <laughs> the Stanley Cup getting a lap dance. So yeah, that thing's been around. And if we could write a book, it'd be really, really uh, a fun book to read. Anything else from the playoffs that really is going to stick in your heads, guys, before we move on? Because I want to talk Hall of Fame as well. When you look back at these playoffs, other than the Avalanche winning, what's something that's going to stick in your head? Sarah? Definitely Kale McCarr, but we already went over that. I think, I mean, obviously I cover the Canes, so I'm thinking about how they should have got past the Rangers. I don't know, Jesse, what about you? I, this is like kind of random, and this is just obviously me going to my sweet spot with goalies, but Jake Ottinger in the first round was yeah. a superstar, like just superstar. I mean, could not have been better. And sometimes we we get a little glimpse of someone in the playoffs and we're like, oh, wow, that like maybe that guy's going to be better, a better player than maybe we had projected. And I feel like that's that moment for Ottinger. Now, We'll see how he how he follows it up next year. But I, I come away from the playoffs. Aside from the stars that played in the cup final, the guy I'm most excited to look for, to, to see next year is Jake Ottinger. Uh, for me, it was what might have been had the Edmonton Oilers made the Stanley Cup final. What Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl were doing. I mean, 
you guys see this. I know it's a podcast, so I'll let people know there's a framed Gretzky jersey behind me. I'm a big Wayne Gretzky guy. Wayne Gretzky's playoff points record was in jeopardy. That's bananas. That's not something I thought I would ever say uh, in 2022. Um, and I really, what might have been had he made the, the, the finals and um, records could have been broken. That would have been a lot of fun to watch. But anyways, the Colorado Avalanche are 2022 Stanley Cup champions. That's how I'm going to wrap that up. We did have the Hall of Fame uh, class of 2022 announced this week, guys. Um, so basically it breaks down like this. The Sedins both getting in on their first year of eligibility. Roberto Luongo getting in on his first year of eligibility. Daniel Alfredson uh, getting in on his fifth year of eligibility. Uh, Finnish women's hockey legend uh, Rika Salenin, uh, two bronze medals. She gets in. And Herb Carnegie, one of the best players ever to not play in the NHL mainly because of the color of his skin, uh, going in. So the names get released. First reactions, Jesse. Um, I think it was kind of what we expected. Um, I think obviously the, the highlight of the, of the group is kind of Luongo and the Sedins. And, and I thought that that was pretty much what we expected going in. I, I know we're going to complain and I know we've got, <laughs> we've got some, people what, we we That's what we do best. That's what we do best. But, but, <laughs> I think when you like we we complain about the the what it takes the I guess the bar you have to clear to be considered hockey hall of fame and I think that we can argue that bar but if you look at where the bar is I think all these people belong all, all these people and Rod Brindamore I I think <laughs> we go through this every year and I just think uh, there needs to be more cohesiveness about what we're voting for to get in the hockey hall of fame. Right. I, I feel like people are on different pages when they're voting about it. And I, I feel like, I feel like we just need to kind of make a statement on what gets into the hall of fame and what doesn't like, are we being strict? Are we like, it needs to be reset. Yeah. And, and that's, that was going to be my next question as I was listening to your answer. It, are we too far? Are, have we gone way too far? Because you hear this every single year. Well, if so-and-so is in the hall of fame, you have to put this person in the bar that Jesse's alluding to. Yeah. Um, and it's it, every hall of fame in, in different sports does it differently. Hockey throws 18 people into a room and says, you need 14 votes to get in. Mainly these people are putting their hands up for their buddies. And I know it's been talked about a lot this week. Is that the best way to do it? I hate it. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I, it's definitely not the best way. No, it's just not, guys. Like, there's just too much bias. And and you're right. Like Sarah, Sarah alluded to there, we have to set a line. Look, are certain role players important, you know, as far as winning a Stanley Cup? Sure, they are. You've got that third line guy that kind of does the dirty work, who's blocking shots, who's doing things. Do you need that guy to win a Stanley Cup? Of course you do. Is that guy a Hall of Famer? No. The Hall of Fame is supposed to be the best of the best of the best, not the guys who, well, that role player, you're not winning a Stanley Cup without him. So every single year we do this and every single year, certain players just keep getting knocked down the list because the bottleneck gets, you know, tighter and tighter. And I know Sarah's answered this question. So Sarah, we'll start with you so you can just get it out of the way. Uh, fill in the blank. I can't believe blank is still not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Rod, and give a quick reason why. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, you wouldn't even let me finish the question. <laughs> Rod Brindamore, because he changed what it meant to be a hockey player, and now hockey players model their, or try to model their workouts after him. He's never skipped two days in a row of working out since he started knowing how to work out. And he 
like back in his day, it was like the the heavy beer drinking, cig smoking days of the NHL. And now it's kind of more green smoothie, take care of yourself. And I feel like he had a, and he and his longevity had a huge factor in that. So it's more than just the points, but he does have more points than a bunch of people in the hall already. Yeah. So I'll be predictable by going with a goalie, but I'll be unpredictable. This, so I, I grew up an Avs fan. I'm in the middle of watching the 30 for 30 Red Wings and Avs. So this is almost sacrilege as someone from Colorado, but um, I think Chris Osgood needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, 400 wins. Got, yeah. Yeah. 400 wins, three Stanley Cups. I mean, yes, he had a bunch of Hall of Famers in front of him, but the guy won three Stanley Cups. I mean, how many? And, and to me, goalie is, is the position that gets credited with wins similarly to like quarterbacks in football. Are there any three time Super Bowl winning quarterbacks not in the Hall of Fame in, in, in football? Absolutely not. That would be insane. Um, the fact that Chris Osgood's not in the Hall of Fame is, is crazy to me. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the fact that Alexander McGilney is not in the Hall of Fame is bananas. Triple gold club, over a point a game. He's got better stats than so many players that are in there. I, I'm starting to believe um, that it's something we don't know about. I mean, 2009, he's been eligible since 2009. 76 goal season, everything. Just McGilney just blows my mind. And we're going to argue about this every single year the Hall of Fame comes up. But... Something we're going to argue about later in the show, uh, whether or not Cal Bacoskis has the best hair in show business because he got a pretty good endorsement during the playoffs. We'll talk to him after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, guys, as you know, we've been doing this show since the beginning of the year. Usually when we have a guest on, my intro is very simple. I say you know, what they do, what their name is. And I say, welcome to the show. They say, thanks for having me on. And we start talking hockey, but uh, this one stumped me a bit. There are so many things I could describe when talking about our next guest, uh, the man with friggin' awesome hair, the good looking man, or the Canadian Tom Brady. And all of those are true because Charles Barkley said <laughs> those are true. Kyle Bacoska is joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. How are you, Kyle? Oh, good. I feel like I picked a bad day to wear a hat. But anyway, I, I wanted to see the hair. Yes. I yeah. wore a hat because I, mean, I didn't want to get shown up with the best hair on this podcast today. I didn't mean to, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, Sarah, I got to say, I, every time um, I'm, I pump my fist uh, each time you, you tweet fact uh, about the outrageous reality that Rod Brindamore is, is still not in the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. I know that you guys were talking about it in the last, the last segment. And I, I quietly support that just because i mean i feel i just i'm outwardly biased given we're from the same hometown and i've gotten to know him a little bit there but um keep banging that drum i appreciate campbell you. river baby 
<laughs> That's right. That's right. We've got to get you out there. I will. I'll be there. Uh, so Kyle, fishing, oh, yeah. hiking. Sorry, Rob. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you just keep listing <laughs> off what you want to do once you, uh, once you get Sarah out there. But we're going to talk, obviously, a little bit of everything, Stanley Cup finals, playoffs, everything else. But I do want to touch on, you know, what we alluded to earlier and a, a bit of your gig. Um, ringside reporting, you got to be ready for anything. You never know what's going to be thrown at you. But is there any way to prepare for that Charles Barkley interview and where that thing went, because not only do did all the people I know who follow hockey and watch hockey say, hey, did you see that Charles Barkley interview with McCoskis? But I mean, people who don't follow hockey saw that thing. That was one of the most amazing ringside interviews I've ever seen on Hockey Night in Canada. But how do you even prepare for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. I guess that's that's the fun of it. And I once again kind of hits home the fact, a uh, great reminder of just how much cachet and and popularity that he has, and that he you know transcends television and sport and all of that. Because I don't know if there's a bigger star in in that world than than Charles Barkley these days. So just to be able to meet him was like such a thrill because I'd never dealt with him in in any capacity in the past. Um, obviously, I mean, I was a little bit too young to really appreciate you know the. Um, the prime of his playing days, but certainly now as he's transitioned into to television, you, you admire what he's he's done with with TNT. So, and it kind of came together not last minute, but it was like I don't know an hour before the game we got word that he was going to be there. So we thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe we should look at trying to to get him on the on the show. And then we I had to kind of uh, maneuver with the NHL to make it all happen. And then they said, okay, this is this is a go in the second intermission because he was on the ESPN panel in the first. And so we went up to to where he was sitting in in one of the suites and um yeah i just i sat down and, and introduced myself and he was great like yeah whatever you need and then and then i stand up and i'm like all right you ready to do this and then he stands up and it was like wow <laughs> he was uh just a massive human being and we're kind of like boxed in the corner there and uh, anyway i mean he was clearly enjoying his time i mean you know the story's been told about his his friendship with john cooper so he's there you know supporting the bolts and i think it was just good for for hockey to have charles barkley in, in the house and um, yeah, I, I had no idea where, where the interview was, was going there. Um, but I thought it was, it was funny, like kind of lost in, in, um, you know, some of the other comments. I thought he made some, some really good points when he's like, you know, for all the kids out there, just always worry about be the, you know, be the best version of, of yourself. Don't worry about what other people think. And I thought, wow, that's really beautiful advice. And then, um, and I, I know in the back, you know, as I'm kind of trying to do my rough timing in, in my head, I'm going, okay, this has already gone too long. I've got to wrap. And then he just kept going. And so at that point, you're not going to cut him off. Um, and uh, he was very, I don't know, I guess the lighting did me some favors in that suite there or what, but um, he was very, <laughs> very kind in, in that moment. But honestly, for such an imposing figure, like, and, and for myself, never meeting him before, he was, you know, very gracious and made me feel comfortable and welcoming standing next to him there. So yeah, that's, that was a career highlight. And I'll always be, be thankful for him for that. Yeah. And it's just one of those, like you said, the fun, the fun of the job and, you know, my friends who aren't big hockey fans sometimes say it's, I'm a really frustrating person to watch hockey with because I'm not necessarily watching the game or the analysis. I'm watching it like a broadcaster and I'm watching it like, oh, they went too late to this. And, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that's what I do with, you know, I've been in your position. I was lucky enough to do that job myself. And uh, your game five stand up where you walked and you were getting the atmosphere, you know, in the arena. And mm. you were finished it. And I'm not kissing your ass because you're on the show. I turned to my wife. I said, that was a hell of a stand up. And then David Amber goes, how do we top that, Elliot? That was a hell of a stand-up. And I thought, oh, that's great. Walk us through a little bit of your your prep for, for huge games like that. Because 
obviously there's the obvious storylines, but you trying to get the feeling to us on the couch is a difficult thing to do. And I, and I think you do it really well. Yeah, I appreciate that, Rob. I mean, I mean we both, you know, know Shirelli Najak quite well, yeah. and I worked with with him for for a number of years. He was a you know a longtime producer at, at Hockey Night in Canada, and so he was instrumental in kind of teaching me that side of it, right? Like when we would go into games on Saturdays or in the playoffs, like that forty five seconds to a minute that you'd have at the top of the clock before the game started to kind of set the scene. Um, you know, he would say, hey, "That's our that's our commercial, right?" So for the viewers watching at home, how are you going to sell them on on watching the game that? That we're at ten, tonight and um you'd always say like just you know just make it memorable like like we got to give them something to to remember and so that kind of was my is always the the base in in my thinking to try to come up with that and honestly one of the things that i'll agonize over you know more than any interview or or any in-game story is like how do you try to make that the best it possibly can be uh just to kind of kick the night off right so it's not always perfect. There's sometimes where you're like, ah, oh, we could have done this better or whatever. But I mean, that's just life. And as long as you're trying to put in the the effort uh, to make it as as good as it can be, then um, at least you're you're on the right path. And over time, I think you know you'll you'll start to to get it. So um, with that one there, I mean, I just think it had been such a story over the playoffs, right? Like how good the crowd had been there at, at Ball Arena, and you could feel it being in the building, and the fact that it was Game Five and the Stanley Cup was in the building for the first time in the series. Um, I just you know I. I threw it out there. I'm like, well, let's, let's get a little mobile, right? Like, um, as, instead of just, you know, being down at the corner at ice level, as you would typically would do, um, let's be in it and try to give uh, a bit of a feel of just what the crowd's like, because it was, they were amped up, uh, even before the, the game started there. So that was just kind of the idea. And you have some ideas in, in your head in terms of what you want to say. And you're going over that in your mind as you're standing there on the concourse waiting <laughs> for the, the hit to come. And people are kind of looking at you as they're walking by to their seats going, what the hell is this guy doing here? But um, yeah, and then then you you get the throw and it's like, you just go. Um, so so that was kind of the, the inspiration behind it was trying to just, you know, give some some love to the the crowd and how good they'd been there that that playoffs and and just a little flavor for for the audience of just kind of what the building was going to feel like for that game that's awesome Kyle to kind of to kind of stick with that the the feel in the buildings you were obviously there for 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 these big games on TV this felt um, I use the word satisfying into the season this felt like a bigger mm -hmm. cup final than the last couple um, obviously uh, Tampa rolled over the last two opponents. Did did it feel? Did this feel bigger? I don't know if it was because of the pandemic and we didn't have full buildings. I don't know if it's the the, the top two teams playing each other. Did but to you mm -hmm. in the buildings, did this feel like a bigger Cup final? And and I guess what are your take? Your biggest takeaways from that series overall? Yeah, I, probably a bit of everything there, Jesse. Only because right, like two years ago, it was just everything was about it was bizarre. It was empty. It was in Edmonton. Um, and then last year was a truncated season and there was that feeling of, you know, Montreal was the Cinderella team getting there, but you kind of felt certainly after the way game one went that the outcome was, was inevitable of who was going to end up winning it. And this year, yeah, as you say, that it was kind of the two teams that were probably the favorites going into meet. And so often that never ends up being the case. There's an upset along the way and a surprise, but the fact that they got there and it just seemed there was the history of Tampa going through, you know, for a three-peat, which I've never seen in, in my lifetime, um, and a lot of you know current hockey fans now, where I think we're long enough past the the Islanders of of the '80s, that they haven't seen it either. So there was some intrigue on that sense on that side, and on the Colorado side, it was just trying to knock the the door down. I don't think it had been as long of a, a run as like Washington in 2018, and finally getting there. But certainly, you had that feeling of this is a core that had been together a while now, 
had been you felt good enough or close to good enough to win, but but ultimately coming up short. And so one of those teams were gonna were gonna satisfy um, you know what their their goals was, and and one was going to be a, just a, a crushing defeat. So I think that probably added to the magnitude of it of it all. And it was just it was a for a game that or a series that had two absolute blowouts in two and three. I still found it was you know incredibly compelling for all those reasons involved. Buildings both ways were were good. It was some wonderful, breathtaking hockey for for large stretches of it. Um, and you just you admire like again having the the great uh, opportunity to to kind of follow the Stanley Cup playoffs from beginning to end for a few years now. Like you just get so much more appreciation for the last two teams that are standing. Like I'm I'm exhausted now. Like I don't even play. Like I have no idea what those guys go through. And you know we kind of heard from the Tampa side the injuries that they were dealing with. We all saw the pictures of Val Nachushkin's foot and the fact that he still played um, is mind blowing. So with all those things considered, I thought it was just, it was really, really entertaining hockey to watch. Um, and I thought the right team won in the end. Um, so that was kind of my, my takeaway. It was just a, it was a wonderful final. What was, I thought, a, a really entertaining playoffs. And the fact that the two best teams were left standing at the end, I think it just made for, for all the, the better product to watch uh, in the final series. You know, a lot of times when the, the playoffs are done, it feels like such a blur because, you know, we're just so into everything like the the battle of Alberta feels like 10 years ago to me right now. Like it just felt like (laughs) um, finals aside, something you think about when when you think back to these playoffs, what's really, you know, kind of going to be in your head from this point on when someone says 2022 playoffs aside from the finals, is it what you saw in the battle of Alberta? Is it McDavid? Is it what, what, what's something that really sticks in your head? Boy, well, I guess, yeah, the beauty part is that there's there's a number of things. And um, so in terms of, I guess, what I got to, to see up close, I mean, I think just the the whole, and I'm not trying to turn this towards a, a Toronto conversation here, but I just, I think that that first round series was was uh, something that really stands out in my mind only because like I was, I was in high school when, when the Canucks went on their run in 2011. And it was like trying to finally get over the hump of Chicago after getting beat by them the two years previous and they had the three nothing series lead. Now all of a sudden there's a game seven, it goes in overtime and just, you know, what would have happened had they lost that and how many people would have lost their jobs. Likely the trades that would have come, everyone knew that everything was riding on, on that one game and they get through it. And then all of a sudden it was like, it felt like they weren't going to be stopped. And ultimately, you know, the Bruins found a way to, to drag the series into the mud and, and they just couldn't come through it. Um, but I had those vibes for for Toronto this year. I thought if they could just find a way to get through Tampa in that first round, um, you know, maybe there was a, a similar path for them as well to to reach the to reach the Stanley Cup final. And so um, just the way things had unfolded, and they were up a goal in the third period of Game Six, and how that ultimately slipped away, and just the tension around Game Seven. And once again, it was uh, just the marvel at, at how Tampa closed that thing out and being able to follow them the last couple of playoffs and see a lot of their games uh, once again was just a great reminder of of how great of a team they are even though they ultimately came up short this year um, that really just sticks out in my head that third period in game seven there in particular which was just like championship caliber close out from the two-time defending champs and a Toronto team that was like once again thinking this was their year to break through and the final horn sounds and and they're left with with the same feeling all over again um you know regardless of how you feel about the leafs and their history and their fans or wherever you stand on it i just that it's it was very compelling and and stuck with me 
uh, still as we, we sit here on the end of June. What's something about covering a cup run that the general public might not realize? Well, Sarah, as you know, just the, the assumption of, of the glamour of it all, right? Like you get to watch some great hockey, you get to see some wonderful things, but everything around it, you know, the flights, the middle seats, the long travel, the delays, wondering where your bags are, checking into a hotel and the room's not ready, so you got to wait. Like it's just all the stuff that comes with the travel. Um, it's, it's not easy. Um, so I think, you know, everyone here, I think knows, knows kind of what that, that all goes with. And so it just, the compounding fatigue over time when you're doing it for two months, um, it gets, it gets real difficult. And so it's that funny feeling of when you're in it, you know, you're tired, but you don't want to think about it too much. You're just, you know, you've got to keep going. Um, and so like even, you know, Tampa scores early in game six and you're feeling, oh boy, like we might be going back to Denver for a game seven. And so mentally you're already kind of preparing yourself for that. But then the game ends, Colorado wins. I remember waking up the next morning going like, I, I, there's no way possibly I could have done another game in this series. Like you just feel so spent. Um, like it just, the, everything, you know, finally just kind of hits you. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's just the fatigue of it all. And again, like it's, it's, it's wonderfully tiring because you're you're so so grateful to be able to be there and um you know to be around uh you know our group that that puts so much work into to trying to make the shows as, as best as possible and being able to spend time with um you know whether it's you know, folks like yourself that are um you know covering various teams and get to spend time with them that you wouldn't otherwise see throughout the year and to kind of connect and um just spend time with people that you have a, a great deal of respect for over the course of, you know, the most important two months of, of the season. Um, that's all great. But yeah, by the time you're done, you're like, okay, time to sleep. <laughs> it's a grind, as they say. Yes, I know. It's very real, as you know. It is real. It's funny. We talked about this, I think, a couple shows ago where it, it's, you're trying to be nice about it because it is a grind. But as you said, people don't, they, they think it's just, hey, you get to watch hockey for a living. And we do. We're not complaining about right. it. But man, especially, you know, you know, uh, Tampa wins game five. And just the fact that you've got to continue on is just an exhaustion that people just don't necessarily know about. Um, and just dealing with with everything that comes with it. Um, following along Sarah's question, though, I mean, gives people a little bit of a, a, a behind the scenes about even preparing um, for the playoffs and for each game, because I think a lot of people think it's such a fly by the seat of your pants job. And it is at times, but mm. you know, you, you've got to deal with a lot of teams and a lot of players on a regular basis and, and you get to know them. Yeah, for sure. And, and certainly, you know, having, again, having followed Tampa for the last couple of playoff runs, um, you're very familiar with them. Then there's also like, you feel like you've told a lot of little stories and tidbits in game. It's like, okay, now I got to find more stuff to, to talk about. Um, and having Colorado work in the Western Conference final this year, already doing a series with them, you're a little bit familiar. But for me, at the start of a series, like I, because there's kind of like three main aspects of my job. There's like the open that, that we talked about earlier, Rob, and then there's the in-game stories. And then, of course, the, the interviews, too. So at the start of a series, you try to come up with as many potential stories to tell in-game as you can. So you're talking to people, whether it's, you know, players at, at the rink and coaches, you're making phone calls to, to other people that may have information that can help uh, tell stories uh, throughout the series. And so you've kind of got like, that's your initial base, your list to kind of start with. And then after each game, you use up some of them and then you just try to replenish and you keep going. Right. And there's some stories that you'll have 
ready for game one and you don't use till game six, right? Just because that's all of a sudden now when it makes the most sense. Um, so between each off day, you're either traveling or you're trying to think of more stuff for the next game or you're doing both, right? So when you go back to say game five, you're out in the crowd, everyone, you know, it's a great time, goes well, all right, that was cool. And then it's like, okay, now what? You're like now there's game six, you've got to think of something else to do again. And you want to be better than you were the time before. So there's that, that feeling of, um, you know, just a little bit of anxiousness and, and just, you know, a mild amount of, of stress where you're like, okay, now, now what, where do you go from there? So there's just the mind's constantly working. I think that probably feeds the majority of, of the fatigue because again, physically, I'm not doing a ton. Um, but just trying to think of fresh ideas, you know, not unlike if you're, if you're writing a column and, um, trying to think of something fresh to do the next time and to be better than, than the previous one that you wrote, um, I, I have no idea what that would feel like, but I imagine there's there's a lot of thought and, and time that goes into that too. So um, I think it's it's a similar feeling on, on the television side of just uh, the mind is always thinking of, of something fresh for the, the next game and you always want to be prepared for, for whatever. And then like, so when Colorado wins game four to go up three to one, then the bulk of um, that next day and even you know, leading up to the the night of game five it's just a, a lot of now extra prep of like each guy on colorado to see okay if the du stanley cup does get handed out um you want to have something if you're interviewing them on the ice because you don't know who you're going to get there um because that becomes a bit of a chaotic scene as well um you know is there a personal tie-in or something about the person their journey family whatever it may be that you can kind of link to the the interview there because that's another big moment, the kind of crowning moment for for us, right? The cup's been handed out and the emotion of it all. Uh, you want to be ready for that too. So it's a lot, but you know, it's 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 great. It's it beats working still. <laughs> that it does, uh, Kyle. Thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Like I said, I really enjoyed your stuff not only this year but the years past. And uh, keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, everyone. Big fans of each year. Thanks for having me on, Kyle Bukowskis. Great hair, ringside reporter for Sportsnet. Stick around after the break. We got to go through our rapid fire topics, so don't go anywhere. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. All right, guys, your favorite time of the show and mine, rapid fire things we didn't get to in the first couple of segments. First one does deal with the Stanley Cup final. Um, you heard Kyle Bukoskis talking about the, the chaotic uh, atmosphere after a team wins the Stanley Cup. Well, Nazem Kadri was doing an interview with David Amber and Elliot Friedman, and it was all genuine. It was great. And then he said, anyone who thought I was a liability in the playoffs can kiss my ass. <laughs> said it on live television. Um, there, that, that laugh is the reaction most people had. What did you think when you heard that? Sarah, we'll start with you. Well, I just think there needs to be more of this. I mean, I watch, even I watch Skip Bayless. I'm oh, not Skip Bayless. Oh my God, Stephen A. I'm sorry, Stephen A. for calling you Skip Bayless. Wow, but, that's, yeah. <laughs> for he and Slip. But like, I watch him and Kevin Durant go after it and things like that. I'm like, we need more of this and we need more players in hockey kind of willing to speak out and be sassy. And then you see like, basketball players quote tweeting their own deals and stuff. I, I just love it. I have more of it, please. Yep, for sure. More personality in hockey and more uh, it, I mean, it's it's cool to see guys prove the, the, like, I guess general thinking wrong. I mean, that was, like, it wasn't, it didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, this is a guy who gets suspended in the playoffs every damn year. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, it's, it's not like, it's not <laughs> like people true. made this up for no yeah. reason and Kadri's this port, but like, but, but good for him for proving it wrong. Like, he, like, he, he deserved that criticism, I think. And, and you know what? When you prove it wrong and you finally, you break through and you're a big part of a, of a team that wins a championship, rub it in everybody's faces. I love it from both sides. Anyone who didn't like it doesn't like personality. And we talk all the time about the good bunch of guys in the room, pucks in deep players we hear time and time again. I would rather hear stuff like this. A couple other pieces of news that came out this week. Luke Richardson taking uh, on the bench boss role in Chicago. Thoughts on this one? Jesse? Yeah, I think it was a, another safe hire. This is this is what the NHL does. I think it's. I, I think it has a very high floor. Um, I think it has a mid to, to high ceiling. I, I just I keep waiting for someone outside of the NHL to get one of these jobs. I was kind of rooting for it here in Vegas when they were doing their coaching search. I was looking at Roberg, the guy who runs the the, the Swedish hockey federation over there i was hoping someone from outside the league would get a job it looks less and less likely but at the same time i think this is like i said a safe hire that i think will go well yeah it's not moving it's like just not moving the needle for me either way good for him i guess it wasn't really on my radar but it's like they're trying to recycle as many people who have had a little bit of even assistant coaching experience so 
it's not something I look at and I'm gasping in horror, but we'll see how it works out. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's just, yeah, I saw the, I saw the news. And went, yeah, that, that seems about right. Um, Bruins news, Don Sweeney signing a multi-year extension. We talked uh, last week or the week before about the Bruins um, starting over maybe and uh, seeing the core kind of have their last chance at a Stanley Cup. What do you think of this news, Sarah? Um, I mean, it's the typical course of events. If you're firing Bruce Cassidy, it's because you're going to keep Don Sweeney, right? Because it had to be one or the other. So he's on his last straw here. And Weeks said, we reported this morning that we can expect to hear some coaching news from the Bruins today. So that'll be interesting. Like they're looking at some college hockey coaches and I'm just like, not sure about that, but whatever. Ordinarily at this time of the show, guys, I ask you what you got going on over the next week, but I know you're both heading to Montreal for the NHL draft. So uh, we know what you got going on, but how pumped are you to head to Montreal? Jesse? So pumped. Um, <laughs> I was just telling Kyle after the last break, I, Montreal is one of my favorite. I keep kind of a, a, a power ranking of my favorite road cities to visit. Montreal's top five, and I've only been there when it's an like negative 30 degrees out. Like you walk outside and you're afraid you may die from the, the cold in like 30 seconds and it's still a top five city. So the fact that I'm going there and I'm going to be able to go outside comfortably, I could not be more pumped for this city, Sarah. I'm so excited. I'm excited to see everybody. This is actually going to be my first time in Montreal. Every time I've had the opportunity to travel there, um, I have been sick or like worked on a different story where I needed to be talking to other people. Like it was just one of those things where it was like a day trip or the second half of a back-to-back where I didn't travel and I've regretted it every time but now I get to go in the summer that is great (laughs) and we get to see all of our athletic colleagues I mean it feels like it's been forever because the pandemic we we don't get to see each other all that often it's it's a team here but it's like a team on zoom and slack Um, it'll be cool to see everybody in person the hell are you guys gonna cover your teams don't have first round picks (laughs) <laughs> see, see, are you guys I, just I've scared of a free trip from the athletic <laughs> the, the golden Knights do have quite a few french canadians so so I'm, I'm going to montreal more more for the for that than for the actual draft itself because uh yeah like you said the golden knights do not have a first round pick if they somehow do make a pick in this draft they'll just be trading that player in the next couple of weeks so uh, not as concerned about the draft, but lots in Montreal around the Golden Knights. Last time I was at a draft in person, Vancouver, 2019, um, I broke the Justin Falk trade was happening because when you're there, there's just people from every team and they like you catch up with agents, you catch up with GMs and stuff, and they kind of want to maybe throw you a bone because you actually physically went there. So that is kind of a low key thing. Maybe people don't know about about the draft. The draft is so much fun to cover. It really is. And it's it's just an atmosphere you don't ordinarily see where literally as you're there, you're looking at a GM walk to another table and you're going, oh, what are they talking about? It almost feels like high school. Like You know what I mean? Like so-and-so's <laughs> talking to so-and-so. What's going on here? So guys, have fun in Montreal working and have fun in Montreal playing because Montreal is right up there for me as well jesse and that brings the show to a close we're not going to have a show next week because of the draft um and these two will bring you a lot of great coverage so make sure you're following what they do and make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast platform don't forget leave a rating and a review you can subscribe to the athletic audio plus on apple Podcasts. you get all the bonus content from the entire network you start with a 30-day free trial 
than just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. For Sarah, for Jesse, I'm Rob. We'll see you next week.